live, Dave. Yeah, so they see that little red line next to it. It's possible we're live now. I never. All right, we are live. Welcome to another edition of Live Long and Podcast, our Deep Space Nine rewatch. This is our second episode. We're covering episode three, kind of episode two. We don't really know what it, you know. And it's kind of also episode four, so it's a very confusing um, numbering yeah. system. Very confusing. <laughs> uh, so where this, uh, let's just call it past prologue. We have some uh, astounding guests here today with us. We have again my brother, uh, Dave Mater. Say hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. We have Jamil Robinson. Say hi, Jamil. Hi, Jamil. And. Finally, last but not least, all the way from Montreal, Quebec, Jason Doan. Say hi, Jason. Hello, everyone. Really, really awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward yes. to this. First um, time we've gone over provincial lines. <laughs> hey, man, you're coming home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have all of you with us here to continue our three and a half year journey of our <laughs> Deep Space Nine rewatch, one episode a week covering this fantastic show it's going to be a slow trek at first no pun intended but it's only going to get better and better this show is a slow burn and it, and it just keeps going up um mm -hmm. so uh we're here you know this is again like last uh episode uh, the pilot that me and dave talked about last week that it's a lot of setup but we're kind of delving into characters that we didn't spend a lot of time with last week so it's a very kira centric episode this episode but also garrick uh is a, a mainstay on in this episode as well who's probably my favorite character of the entire series i love garrick um but first uh since we didn't do it last episode let's just talk about you know the opening intro and how unique it is to star trek uh for deep space nine you know there's no words whatsoever uh it starts with the comic going by it's very you know it, it doesn't center on a ship at all like the other three do so just thoughts what you guys uh like what you love about the intro what you love maybe what you dislike uh you know just thoughts we'll start with uh jason uh, what, what you know what do you think um so uh my my relationship with Deep Space Nine, like I, I was not a huge fan of it when I first came out, uh, and I'm I'm kind of doing my full second rewatch sort of now. I'm kind of late into season four for the time being. Um, now that I'm a little bit older, you know, it's no longer like the early '90s, anything like that. Uh, I, I have like a deeper appreciation for this intro, and I find like when I'm watching it on Netflix or anything like that, I find I'm not like skip intro button anymore. You know, like I really like to to sit back and enjoy. Um, and it's got a, some really just nice effects to it in general. Um, it's got just some wicked trumpet playing, which I get, appreciate because I used to be a trumpet player for a number of years um, oh, wow. and um, back in high school and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a really beautiful intro, uh, unlike Next Gen, which is really focused on kind of the enterprise and, and stuff like that. You know, like just that initial sign of slow crawl with the, the the asteroid kind of floating through and having all the ice kind of coming off of it. It's just really, really beautiful to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you know this, uh, Jason, but uh, I, f I discovered on YouTube somebody re-rendered the entire intro into 4K and a complete like you can go watch it and it's awesome it's better than what you watch on the tv show and he, everything is redesigned and redone uh, uh, jamil have you have you seen that before i haven't actually haven't. yeah you you guys should totally check that out later, later definitely 
So, Jamil, um, any first thoughts on the episode at all? Just, I mean, like I said, like I, I, I briefly I mentioned the intro. I want to talk about the intro. Oh, you too. want to talk about the intro? Okay, what oh, do you? Yeah. Think about Come the on, intro? give Jamil's chance at the yeah. intro. All right, Jamil, what do you yeah, think? The asteroid going through the space. Yeah, um, the entire opening is like really, it's such a amazing like companion to the actual show. Mm-hmm. It's so somber yet it's uplifting too as it like starts to kick in nearing the end it's I, I think it's like the perfect intro it's the best intro that trek has ever had uh better than next gen better than original series i'm not a big fan of um voyagers but it is fantastic um and you get the money shot of the the space station it's it tells you everything and all the how the show is completely different than other star trek shows and it's so uh like even the design of the actual, uh, you know, station is different. The runabouts, everything, it just it gives you a totally different feel. This is not next generation. This is a totally different beast altogether. Absolutely, uh, Dave. Now you uh, you mentioned to me uh, privately that this is probably your least favorite of all the intros. Uh, do you can you kind of explain your take on why you maybe dislike the intro compared to the other ones? Yeah, like it's long. And it's slow and it's all <laughs> instrumental. Um, so that's kind of the genesis of sort of why I don't like it because it was the first to deviate from like the Star Trek formula, which is space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. And they've never come back to that. Uh, D Space Nine started this trend of like, well, D Space Nine and Voyager are very much alike in the way that they're set up and like their intros and everything else. Um, and and they have a lot of connective tissue between those two but they've like all the themes that have come afterwards i have not liked as much uh as maybe like the next generation now i think this is a great piece of music i think it's a great like instrumental and it's very uplifting and and yeah they used to actually build these like models and they want if they're gonna build these big models they're gonna show them to you they're gonna show you the station and in all its glory these big pan shots i get it um to me the intro gets way better when they add the uh, the defiant later on um, because that becomes a a stay on the show and you see that going into the wormhole instead of these like dinky little runabouts so that's kind of why i don't like it um but i don't think it's i don't think it's bad in terms of like it being music or a tv intro it's just it's not it doesn't feel as star trek as i would like it to right okay Okay, just for me, just real quick, uh, I just would say that it's my favorite as well, uh, like you, Jamil. Uh, just be, I found myself whistling it today while I was cooking burgers. Like I just love the music itself. Uh, but uh, comparing it to the other ones, like it is a different show. It's set in one place where the rest of the shows are set in multiple places at the journey. This is more the journey's coming to them, and I like that we have like we have it shows off the wormhole, it shows off the station, and later on it shows off the defiant. In in, the, in this episode, it just shows off the uh, roundabout. But uh, any other thoughts, Jamil? Um, I want to know if uh, uh, Dave mentioned that uh, this was his least favorite. So that means Enterprise season one um, is <laughs> ranks higher than this one. Uh, actually, it does. Um, you know, uh, sadly, I, I wasn't ready for you to put me on the spot like that, Jamil. But yes, uh, I would put uh, I would put the Enterprise uh, theme and sort of opening credits above. Yes, uh, I would. I think I think Dave gets bored, but this way, I feel like he thinks it goes on too long. This intro as well, right? It does. It does go on for too long because um, it takes you a while just to get to the station. 
And then, you know, at the end, you got this great reveal with the wormhole. That's awesome. Uh, but with, with that nice whooshing sound. Yeah. As it opens and closes. Oh, it's so great. Right. <laughs> Is it your favorite, Jason, of, of, the, of the four shows that are um, important? I'd say it's probably my second favorite. I think Next Gen is still my, my, my favorite and, one. and not to compare too much to another show, but like to think about like a show like Babylon 5, which debuted pretty much the same time D Space Nine did, is also set on a space station. Uh, every season of that show has like a narration. Kind of, It changed every season of Babylon 5, but they at least would say like the Babylon project was such and such, and this is kind of where you are, and this is what's going on, uh, and this is what you need to know. And Deep Space Nine doesn't do that at all. It doesn't explain anything. It's just like we're in space, and now there's a there's a big space station I've never seen before, and you know. So I can understand why a ton of people fell off from Star Trek just watching this. Uh, I mean, yes, I, but uh, I do think that this show was a different uh, journey, like like Jamil mentioned, that it was a different kind of a burn, but it was it's worth it. Like, it, and it is a little bit tough at first because uh, a lot of these characters are not quite our normal characters. I mean, we have a Bajoran first officer, which is very, very strange. You know, like uh, requested by Cisco. What's that? Sorry, requested by Cisco. Right, requested by Cisco, and it's very going to be integral to this show. I mean, the Bajoran narrative is very important, and this episode really kind of sets up who Kira is and why the Bajorans are going to matter in this show. Uh, so, so we can start like just kind of going through the episode, you know, uh, quick. Um, basically, it's this episode is about a guy named Tana Los, right? Uh, did I say that right? I always kind of get. It I wrong. believe that's how you would pronounce it in the original Bajoran. In the original, <laughs> right? Good enough, right? So basically, he's being pursued by Cardassian warships. He requests uh, an emergency transport right onto the station, uh, just in time before the Cardassian warship blows his ship up. Well, right? but you you missed the cold open, Jeff. Yeah, what? all right, well, go absolutely. Ahead. And and we had a a comment here. Uh, Chris Stevens, he's saying this introduced my favorite character ever. I don't think you can just brush by that, Jeff. Oh, you're talking about the Garrick introduction. Uh, yes, that comes before the the little uh, space station stuff upstairs in ops. Absolutely. So basically, it starts with Bashir meeting Garrick and that uh, meeting of the minds, if you will. Which Garrick is also my favorite character. I think he he has the best dialogue. He's, you know, basically right off the bat, Bashir is. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of interrogating him, like, uh, "Are you a spy?" And he's like, you know, and he's calling him Mister Garrick. All these fun things are happening with Garrick. It's just like, Garrick. It's just, just Garrick. You know, Garrick, you know. And, and it's very sexual between these two. Yes, yes. He's hitting on him hard, and, and I don't know if Bashir is aloof or unaware of it. But is is he though? I think I see. I didn't read it that way. So like that opening cold sequence to me, and the segue like into when the the alert happens to me is it's just it's pure hilarity to me because we meet garrick and you immediately kind of realize like this guy knows that bashir is like bashir's like he's like a little kid like he's just so excited all the time even when we see him on the first two episodes right he's talking about frontier medicine and stuff like that like he's just really excited he's a dweeb and, yeah and he totally <laughs> he's, he's a total dweeb and he's like completely incapable of like keeping his emotions in check right and like just that whole like are you a spy whole thing with garrick whereas garrick uh, for me what i immediately took from it was garrick's like this guy is going to be so much fun to mess with yeah that, that that's what i got from it 
immediately. And he's well, and I think part of that is that whether he right means it or not, he's hitting, he's, he's got like this sexual energy with him. And I think that it is uh, probably, you know, to mess with him to a certain extent, but oh. I think it's deliberate. Yeah. And then after their meeting and whatnot, he, you know, Bashir like uh, exits and heads to Opstack. Yeah. And, and like, he, again, he's just so excited about like this, I met him, the spy, you know, and like, yeah. all that, and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, look, an alert. And then like exit Bashir. We don't and know Garrick's a spy. Segue what do you see things he wants? Well, like, maybe Federation medical secrets. Rest assured, <laughs> they're, they're safe with me, yeah. Commander. Yeah. Why is he so interested in me? He asks. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. It will me. The chemistry uh, is immediate, though, and there is definitely sexual tension, and they're kind of eye fucking each other. I mean, <laughs> they, they they really are. I mean, yeah. they're at the end of the scene. Garrick goes behind Bashir, who's sitting down, and puts his arms on his shoulders, <laughs> <laughs> and kind of just like you know, I got gotcha. you, I got gotcha, you, you know. Right, and and reading up on this episode because okay, so this episode was the one that aired right after Emissary, right after the pilot. But if you go into Netflix, they've like flipped this. It's like um, episode four. Yeah. So they flipped basically episode three and four. And my understanding is that it was that was redone because of the order they shot them in. So they shot this after the one we'll watch next week, but um, but it technically aired right after. So it is episode three of the show. Um, yeah, I think this was the episode where they finally changed like Kira's hair uh, and stuff like that because the actress wanted something a little bit more easier to like. To, to 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 manage you know when it comes to costuming and stuff like that yeah like just make her hair it looks yeah. much better in this than it did in the yeah. pilot and then yeah. i think yeah. after, apparently so, garrick was just, i'm sorry go ahead i think after this episode as well they also clean up like odo's overall look as well and kind of like finalize yeah his makeup gets a little better yeah it's a bit better but as I was reading up on this episode, it said that Garrick was introduced because they knew they wanted to bring the Duras sisters in, I guess, and bring so so they wanted someone to be a go-between, a character to be a go-between, like somebody who would make a deal with the Duras sisters. I don't know why it wasn't Quark, why they didn't tap Quark for this, and they brought it instead. They brought in a new character, but good thing that they did because Garrick probably Isn't one of the best it? characters on the show, yes, uh, and would and will be with the show for all seven seasons. It, it is amazing how on the ball that character was realized and introduced from the first episode. You see how like a good grasp of that character, and you you see that's the character that continues on throughout this the series and grows, right? Whereas other characters, you see different elements where you're like, uh, this is not really how Cisco portrays himself later on, and you know Kira's a little bit harder and a little bit lighter goes on and. Odo seems a little bit weird and, you know, Rom, you know, yeah. things change, right? But and Garrick, like on the ball from the get-go. Garrick, Garrick's like, character doesn't change much. Yeah, like, yeah, I'd say Rom changes dramatically over the course of the show, but not Garrick so much. He's pretty much who he was at the beginning. Like he does, he, he does have an arc and he does yeah. sort of redeem himself from who, his past life. But yeah, he's kind of always the sneaky insidious guy uh which makes the show interesting that it's filled with characters like quark and garrick who aren't quite uh, garrick so. reminds me a lot of lord Varys from game of thrones yes yeah. right in terms of his motivations and the fact that he's not really he's not really working for anyone in particular he's working for like the realm so to speak right and and we see a lot of that in the, in this episode where he he kind of pits people against each other um, and and gets other people involved so that people don't like 
finger or point to him as being like the guy that's that's really orchestrating all this stuff and and, and i think it's just really well done yeah, yeah he's he's such a well-formed character he's always his lines his dialogue are probably the best written of any character and right from the beginning yeah they've it's uh, it's almost like the the actor who played him andrew robinson i believe was his name um is was able to fully form this character right from the beginning knew exactly what he wanted to do and knew exactly how he wanted to do it and uh he and he even mentions like in the first scene i think where he's the only cardassian still on the station so he's very important only to, by birth he's only cardassian by birth he's not a Cardass- he's not a member of the cardassian empire at all like you know like he he never worked for them you know like uh that's what no, he no, said that's just that, that's just his line she goes yeah. you're a cardassian he goes only by birth <laughs> Only by birth. So, but yeah, he doesn't want to associate with the Cardassians, even though he, you know, he, he can't hide from it. I mean, uh, but it's definitely a big part of who he is. Uh, one more saw- comment on Garrick here. Um, I heard that Garrick was supposed to be a one-off character, but was played so well that the writers just keep it, keep it, keep kept keep bringing him back. I think that's definitely probably true. Um, that he wasn't necessarily envisioned as being part of the show beyond this one episode. I mean, how do you how do you envision a Taylor making it from season uh, from episode two to the finale? I mean, you know, well, how much is a Taylor going to do? I mean, and even the fact that he was a Taylor, apparently that was just kind of like, whatever, we have to have him run a shop. So that will be the shop he'll run. And then, then that becomes a big thing. So, yeah, for sure. Do you know the writer? Um, what other Trek episodes this writer has uh, written? Catherine. Well, the, Catherine. So this was um, Michael Pillar who wrote this episode or was oh, it Catherine Powers? Kathleen Powers. No, what 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 did she written? Uh, she wrote Code of Honor from a uh, season one of uh, Next Gen. Okay, which is the one with um the, with, with the Klingons go ah, there's like screaming into the sky. Yeah. Is that the one? Yes. that's Code of Honor. And that also that episode also has Vaughn Armstrong who plays the Kling- the Cardassian commander in this episode. Uh, who went? Who? Yeah, he played Captain Chorus in that original. Um, so it all kind of loops back together. It all loops back to it, and there's more connections. We'll get to them, Jeff. Don't worry. But but isn't that because <laughs> like when DS9 came out, there was like a thing where they wanted every episode, at least of the first season, to have been directed by someone who had directed during Next Gen or something like that. Like I'm pretty sure I read some, something about that somewhere. That would make sense to me. I don't know if I know the answer to that, but um, I think just the fact that they were trying to like one like make this feel as connected to the other Star Trek as they could because they wanted the, the fans to come over to this one. Hence the Duress sisters. Hence things like that. Uh, I think they also um, wanted it just. They knew what the formula was. They had worked that out for like four or five years on Next Gen at this point, and they knew kind of what a Star Trek show needed to how it needed to go. So they bring in the right people who know how to do that. Right. I think what this episode does very well, and it's it's on purpose, is it sets up the Cisco and Kira dynamic, which it needed to. It's very important for the rest of the show to set up the fact that Kira is not a Starfleet officer, but she's also like got this past of kind of being a terrorist. I mean, that's kind of who she was, and now she's like trying to go straight and narrow and, and be with the Federation. She has to make a choice in this episode what side she's going to pick. Is she going to pick like the, uh, you know, the guerrilla warfare style Bajoran, or is she going to try and, you know, change the system with, from within? And it poses a lot of um, moral questions for her. And, but it's also very, you know, very important to understand who she is. And, and she's very fiery. She's got a lot of these emotions that maybe Cisco doesn't have. 
and and so we we get to see that dynamic in full force so it starts with you know tana los like i said gets uh transported from the his his ship uh that's going to get destroyed by the kardashian ships onto the station and then so basically kira goes to bat for this guy when he what's the uh, bajoran um like basically like terrorist organization that he was a part of i forget what the, the con ma the con ma okay oh, con so the con ma they're like a splinter cell group like a splinter cell group that is kira like um uh, a sympathizer to this group or is she does she disavow she's she's a sympathizer so she she does touch on the on the fact because it, it is asked right um of her like you know were you a member of the Kanma in the past and she was like no because otherwise i wouldn't be a member of the pejoran provisional government today if i had been right so it's very much a splinter cell terrorist group that that kind of acts on their own and then even though there's now a peace treaty between the cardassians and the pejorans uh, they're still committing these terrorist acts. Kind of, and we sort of see the same thing later on as Deep Space Nine progresses once we meet the Maquis and and stuff like that. Um, so the Khan Ma is very much, uh, very and similar the, in fashion. The Circle, which becomes a big part of season two, the Circle is like this Bajoran for Bajor, uh, Bajor for Bajorans kind of group, like kind of a nationalistic group. I think the Khan Ma was meant to be kind of like the IRA um, in comparison to like the, maybe the Sinn Féin in Ireland, um, an extreme group that's sort of loosely connected to sort of more of a mainstream uh, group. That's a little bit more. I, I don't know if that's fair to say only because like um, the Sinn Féin and the IRA used to like notify people before they would bomb locations right because they weren't actually they were they were it's they were more about targets as opposed to pe like killing people mm -hmm. so i don't know if that's like i think it's i guess it's a good analogy but i don't know if it's totally well i'm trying true. to think of a real world analogy to them but it's the best i can come up it could with. be a, a comparison to um the gulf war and the iraq uh you know like iraqis you know doing suicide bombs even though like i know at the time i'm guessing the war would still be going on at this time but if it, you know, if it was kind of like the idea that after a peace treaty, that a group would still, you know, um, uh, enact uh, acts of violence, um, even though, you know, the, it really, really nothing would come of it, you know, it, it's just to inflame situation because they feel like they're just, you know. Yeah, and I think this is what this show did so well was trying to talk about how does a society that had to fight and claw to get their freedom back sort of rebuild afterwards, and how does even just from a soldier's point of view, because they, like you know, how do they let go of the war? And there's people like what's his name, Tone Ma or whatever, or Tonalos, like Tonalos, yeah. like that Tonalos can't let go, uh, at least not right away, um, right. of everything he's been doing, and and that there's other Bajorans like him that will become a big part of season two with the circle. Yeah, it's, it's hard to get out of that violent mindset in your mind that you've been in for so long and then one day it just ends. And that's kind of what this episode's dealing with is that Kira has to end that mindset in her mind, whereas friends of hers are still still on this rampage. And I, I think it goes a little bit further than that, though, because and, you know, we we see this like really epic scene a little bit later in the episode between like conversation between Tonalos and, and Kira, <clears throat> um, where we really see a he, we really get to learn a lot about uh Tonalos's motivations and the motivations of the Kanma um in in regards to like much to your point in terms of the fighting has stopped but they're still going it's because they disagree with the with how the provisional Bajoran government is moving Bajor forward 
right? And we and we see this big conversation, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I guess, as we get closer into that part of the episode. But um, yeah, it's 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 really really cool to see that that kind of dynamic and and how why they're doing the things that they're doing. Any uh, any quick th- you know quick thoughts on this, Jamil? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Uh, I always liked Kira, especially when they start how they had her start off as a character. Um, she has that fiery line in the first episode, and then moving on to this one, you get more of a background as to her character and what she's dealing with. Um, one thing that Deep Space Nine really did as a good job is like taking that time to really flesh out its characters. Um, because at the end of it, you really feel like, okay, I have a good grasp of who Kira is and what she went through. And okay, we're starting off this journey with her. Um, and like, I didn't feel the exact same way of like other, like first officers, like Chakotay or Riker, when the series were starting off, they just seemed like, even with Chakotay's like background, he just seemed like pretty stale bread after like episode. yeah like it's true like there wasn't a lot of uh conflict between jacote and janeway even though you expect that there would have been uh, he just yeah. fell in line yeah I he just fell in line that was with... that's who jacote was but but kira yeah. is a feisty person like originally yeah. this role was meant for michelle forbes and it was meant right. for Romero. They want, that, that's who they wanted in this part um it would have been it wouldn't have been kira it would have been just that same character that would have who's michelle over. forbes rolaren oh ensign row ensign row yeah. yeah. And you can see like yeah, Ensign Ro- like Michelle Forbes and Nana Visitor, they got some similar energy to them. Yeah. Um and that's where I the hair came from. That's yes, where that's where the hair came from. I think yeah, especially that that hairdo in the first in the pilot is very much like that. Yes, and they probably did that because they was it like a last second cast change or was it not last yeah. second, but they were trying to get her to come over because she was pretty popular from that show. Um, and but she didn't want to do a, a series at the time; she wanted to do you know just guest star stuff in, in movies. Uh, and you know, and she, and she went on to be in ba- Battlestar Galactica and a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that was great, right? But, right. Well, yeah, okay, so just moving on, I guess. I mean, we, we do get a lot of scenes with Kira and Tanalos. And just about, like, are you a Starfleet officer? Are you, you know, you, you don't wear the uniform, don't confuse me. And a, a lot of these uh, kind of dialogues going back and forth. Of, again, like I said, mentioned before about their identity, like her identity specifically. Who is she? And this episode has to deal with that because it's too, it, she's too different of, like you guys are mentioning, of a first officer compared to Riker or Spock, which is the only two first officers that we've seen before this. Uh, So it's very important to kind of figure out where we're going to go with her down the road because, uh, you know, we have to know who is she loyal to. And and by the end of the episode, hopefully that's answered. I don't know. We'll we'll get there, but uh, we have to kind of squeeze that lemon first. Uh, What do you guys think about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, um, it, it, it's interesting because right after the the intro crawl that we after the intro, we get you know the 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 Cardassians signaling DS Nine saying that they want Tana Lowe's. Um, You know, Cisco talking to Kira about like, can he be trusted? And she she kind of goes out on a limb and says yes. Um, you know, I think he, he can be trusted. And and the episode does a really good job at making you feel for Tonalos and sort of even though he's being labeled as a terrorist, you know, we get that scene in Sick Bay and we get to see 
kind of the scars and visible signs of Cardassian torture. And even O'Brien talking about, I would never want to hand anybody to the Cardassians, right? Because uh, he's, he's he's seen some stuff, you know, uh, and, and dealt with the Cardassians before yeah. and, and really kind of has this hatred for the Cardassians, which we see later on in DS9 um, as it progresses. So it does an amazing job at kind of, I kind of making you feel for this guy and that, you know, what's kind of going to happen. But then immediately after all of this, Kira makes her first big mistake, in my opinion, which is she's pressuring Cisco to grant political asylum right. for Tanalos. And Cisco is kind of undecided about it. Yes. And then Kira goes and contacts the Admiral, goes above Cisco's head, yes. contacts the Admiral. Right. And immediately I'm like, now I'm really curious to see how Cisco's going to handle this. Right. Because he's, he's, Cisco's a really intriguing character. Like he's really like, he seems very happy go lucky, but at the same time, he's very serious about things also. Right. Um, so I, when I was rewatching this episode, I got very curious. I was like, oh man, how, how is Cisco going to deal with this? Cause I remembered nothing of this episode. Um, then very shortly after we have the Admiral contacting Cisco. Right. And basically wrapping his knuckles about like, hey, that Bajoran woman you get, have working yeah, for you is the worst. Yeah, yeah she's get pretty your, bad. Get your shit in order, Commander Cisco. You know, yeah. like uh, we put you there for a reason. You chose to have a Bajoran first officer. Like all this kind of stuff, right? And yeah. and how that all plays out afterwards is 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 pretty funny. Like I, I kind of enjoy the interaction between Kira thanking Cisco and whatnot, and then Cisco kind of very non-subtly raking her over the coals about if you go above my head again like your ass is grass sort of thing you know it's it's, it's a really really interesting interaction i really like how cisco kind of handled the whole thing yeah uh jameel i i like cisco in general especially the beginning because it just seems like he's just free to play with the character so he's like he's coming in he's smiling and then by the end of it he's like pontificating about about something or the other you saw him how he handled like picard in the first episode Right. And how we would just start, you know, how he just gets becomes so big and starts talking loudly. He has like this voice where he's like, I'm talking Federation. And it, he's out. He sounds like a, a wrestling announcer sometimes when he, <laughs> he's talking to people. Uh, right. And you, you just see how he interacts with the the uh, the different individuals on the show. And and he it's. Like sometimes he's like trying to be a friend, but then the switch gets flipped, and he's just like so tough, and he's so like uh, like firm, and and like you see the commanding officer in him. It's 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 a, a wonderful character. I I love the interactions where you see that flip switched, and you just see him like just change, just becomes like dead faced, and you know just grills someone as you said with uh, what he does with Kira in this. I love it. Dave, do you have do you have any of his uh, uh of those Cisco sound bites, especially the one where he's yelling at people for? Oh, I got it. I got them all. I got a bunch of them. Wait, right, but, but, the first, first we will time. never get out of this if we don't pull it together and start to act like professionals. <laughs> You're Starfleet officers now. Start acting like it. That's amazing. I want to know what the hell is going on. <laughs> you have help. Damned me? right. You should have checked. Major, shut that thing off. <laughs> you have helped me. When he tries to get Jennifer uh, um, up from the when she's buried in um, on the ship, help me! They, they come, yeah, you guys yeah. come about it in your first. I just episode. can't leave her here. Yeah. Oh. 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 So great. 
I, I laughed. I laughed so hard. Yeah, I, I, I think especially that that scene in this episode where uh, they're going down the turbo lift to, 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 to go see Tano Ma, whatever his name is. Oh, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and Cisco says to her, I have no room for, for divided loyalties here. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, Cisco, chill out. She's just trying to explain <laughs> some things to you, man. You yeah. know, um, but you know, it's it's establishing right early on that Cisco is kind of a no nonsense guy. That he is to be respected and and to uh, not to be messed with. And I think that this, I can see why they put this episode before the um, the one the one that came after the Odo episode, which we'll watch next week. Even though I think they actually intended it for it to be the other way around. Uh, because I think you need to establish that Cisco Kira dynamic. I think that that's more important than the, mm -hmm. than the Odo story that we get after this. Plus, we get Odo in this episode. He's basically Cisco's spy for the majority of the episode. Which, when I first watched this episode, I was like, "Why is the Bajoran security officer spying for the Starfleet captain or, or commander at this point? Why is it? Well, you know, why is he? He's kind of like not betraying Kira, but he's not on her team. You know." <clears throat> Well, Odo's a character. It it doesn't matter teams really, like how they're they're trying to establish him. Right. He's like only thing he cares about is like what happens on a ship and justice. Doesn't matter. Right. Later yeah, on, I, we I, learn more about the relationship with Kira and Odo and how they go to bat for each other. But like at this point, he's like, I don't care. Justice. Right. Right. For, for me as well in this particular episode, it's also Cisco testing Kira quite a bit right and we see that very early on when he like when she he asks her like would you go to bat you know would you go to bat for this tonalos guy right and and were you part of the con ma and, and questions like that and as as the episode progresses i find that he keeps putting her in these situations to see how she's going to react and mm -hmm. how loyal she's going to be and i know you guys mentioned that earlier and whatnot and it plays out like really awesome man but yeah the I, I agree wholeheartedly like this episode is really about Kira and how much does Kira believe in new Bajor and new Bajoran life and the new reality of the wormhole and what that means for them becoming a potential power in the Alpha Quadrant um, and whether or not she actually believes the things that she's saying. Um, so, you know, and we see that more in in terms of the conversations um, that she has with Tana Los as as the episode progresses and as she starts to discover things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I think this episode kind of goes into the whole the old adage: actions speak louder than words. And yeah. I agree that Cisco is testing Kira's actions to see, yeah, if if her what she's been spouting is actually what she believes. Uh, Jane's sure. Jane saying Cisco has a bit of Shatner. Uh, yeah. that, well, uh, did you think that Avery Brooks overacts as Cisco sometimes, or sometimes? It, <laughs> yes, more than uh, Shatner, or is it just a bit? Well, of it's on it's Shatner? the nineteen ninety three version. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was a different time for Shatner too. So, like, you know, the special effect is the acting at that time. So, like, big moves and big motions, like there's star trek in general people are very subtle in terms of what they've done throughout and then you have this huge character that just like he just blows up in a room and it's like he's shouting and it's like god damn it you're a starfleet officer like you would yeah. rarely see uh, picard do something like that he's very right. reserved and you see the like the raw motion 
that Cisco has. Like sometimes it just. Can't I want to know what the hell is going on. Oh my God. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but my but, question is, like, is he overacting, or is that just the character? I think. I think it's. It's difficult because I mean, like, we're only in like the third episode, right? So I think these guys are still getting used to who they're playing, fleshing out these characters and stuff like that. Because you know, like Cisco, even in the first two episodes, he's, he's a little all over the place, right? But the one thing that like a big not like hats off to the writers is in that, and I know we're we're going back to the first episode now, is they give Cisco like a really epic Picard-esque speech on humanity, right? Near the end of the episode when he's when he's in the celestial temple, right? Inside the wormhole. Um, when talking about humans and stuff like that. Um, yeah. you know, like where it's that may be the most important thing to understand about humans. It is the unknown that defines our existence. We are constantly searching, not just for answers to our questions, but for new questions. We are explorers. We explore our lives uh, day by day, and we explore the galaxy trying to expand the boundaries of our knowledge. And that is why I am here. Not to conquer you with weapons or with ideas, but to coexist and learn. Yeah, like, have what an amazing that. speech near the end of that episode. And I was really happy to see that. And I'm sorry for going back to the first two episodes to, to talk about that particular thing. But I think it's really important because Cisco does get these really awesome Picard-esque moments, I'll, I'll call them. Yeah, more so than he gets credit for. Uh, Jeff, I just want to touch on one thing maybe before we move on. So we yeah. mentioned Admiral Rollman, who uh, is the one that Kira calls and then right. you know she later calls Cisco. She shows up in one more episode in the next season. But it turns out that she is the uh, late, or, well, sorry, the widow of Leonard Nimoy. Oh wow! Uh, was married uh, to him at this time until and, and until his death, um, and she had previously been married to another Star Trek actor who we just watched in Star Trek for the Voyage Home. I'm talking about the Klingon ambassador, James T. Kirk, renegade and terrorist, <laughs> as played by J John Shuck, who we were saying what a great actor that guy was. Who the hell was that guy? Well, he was married to Leonard Nimoy's wife before Leonard Nimoy. Um, so uh, did sorry, Nimoy, like marry her after Voyage Home? Yes, he wow. married her in 1989. Wow! And uh, so she is also the stepmother of Adam Nimoy, who letter who is Leonard Nimoy's son, who married Terry Farrell, who plays Jedzir Dax. So they're all very interconnected with one another. Uh, Definitely, it's a big Star Trek family. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, it's kind of what makes uh, Star Trek great, too, is the fact that the, they do seem close. The cast often seem close, even when, uh, you know, early on, this is only the third episode, the fourth episode they probably filmed. And it, there's already familiarity between these characters, which a lot of shows, you know, don't have that right away. I mean, it takes time, especially when you have this many characters. I mean, it's not like we're talking like two or three characters. There's like how many characters have they already introduced by the time this episode is, is going on? There's got to be over 10. Uh, so <laughs> it's not easy it, to do. Maybe a, maybe a cool dozen. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. You never but know. It just speaks to like, where would the show be if they didn't have that type of close knit bonds or like you see the relationships already developed with the characters? Like we can mm -hmm. talk about the the writing and the stories and the plotting of the first season. That's typical Star Trek. But mm -hmm. like from episode two, you already see the building box of like, I, I, I'm interested in this dynamic. I want to see how these characters continue to, you know, play against each other and bounce against each other. You can't yeah. really say that about other series of Star Trek. 
um, from episode. Not, yeah, not two. on the same scale. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah. I do enjoy Deep Space Nine. Just to kind of uh, go a little off topic here, just the fact that you know we do have a, a Bajoran first officer. We have a, a Ferengi running the bar. We today, we, you know, we learn a, a Cardassian is running the tailor shop. You know, they're it, it, and they're not all Starfleet and. Everything up until this point has just been Starfleet, 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 Starfleet. And this gives us a broader spectrum of what the galaxy is really good. What's going on? How these uh, alien species are interacting, that they're not all, you know, on one side or another, that that there's uh, it's more of a, a gray area there to to. And it's this this show is giving us that opportunity to discover it, which, again, makes it a lot very intriguing because there's so much potential. So so many stories to be told. Right, and building theories. What other series has done the amount of world building that Deep Space Nine does? Because every other series is from a lens of Starfleet, whereas this one, it's like everything, like the Ferengi point of view, the Cardassian point of view, the Bajoran point of view. Right, it it does such a great job of really making Star Trek more than it than it originally seemed. And and Cisco kind of touches on this a little bit in the episode, right? Like we learn that they're only there to administer be run be basically be the administration behind deep space nine mm -hmm. and and to evaluate um the the bajorans for potential entry into the federation right um so you know and he kind of at one point in this episode he kind of he kind of very definitely you know when when kira's asking about uh granting amnesty he very clearly says, like, we'll grant them temporary amnesty and then hand him to the Bajorans. And then, Car you know, Mr. Cardassian, if, if you're interested in still pursuing this after the fact, you will deal with the Bajorans after this, right? And it's a really nice way to just kind of, like, we're not, the Federation is not hyper getting involved here. It's not us that's granting him full-on amnesty or anything like that. It's just we're, you know, we're getting involved, but... It kind of reminded me to bring it kind of to modern day is when Canada had that Chinese uh, diplomat prisoner or whatever. And the America we had and the Chinese wanted her back and the Americans were asking us to hold it. And we're like, she's whoa, whoa. she's still here. But it reminded me very much of that same situation where Canada was kind of like the country going like, OK, we're just going to follow like the international laws here. We're not going to get involved. I mean, you your your problems with America. It's not with us. But China didn't seem to care about that. Kind of like the Cardassians in this episode are like, screw you, Federation, you know, give us the prisoner, <laughs> you know, so very similar uh, reactions from, you know, that, that this is what this episode reminded me of the most. What do you think, Dave? Well, you know what? I, I wish I could go back and tell like the 10 year old, sorry, nine and a half, 10 year old version of me that I was going to like this show as much as I ended up liking it. Like Jason and I, we went to the same elementary school. So we were together uh, when this show debuted. Uh, we were huge Star Trek guys already. Um, and when this show came along, we were kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know if I like this. Um, and we, and we kind of, and like I, to the point where I didn't really watch it much until maybe like when Worf came into the show until in the fourth season. And then I was back in. But, 100%. Uh, and, and Jamil, you're about a year older than Jason and I. So you probably were, you know, you're, you're roughly, um, uh, what if, you know, had the same maybe experience, but I don't know if you were a big fan right away. I, I was really into this series so much. So it was so like I had the books, I was reading the books at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it wasn't like the first initial like 
entry for me to actually care about the show was like, oh, look, there's a captain that's just like or commanding officer that's like me. Um, but I didn't mm-hmm. really like Cisco when it first started. I hated that haircut. Like, <laughs> you like when he shaved so his head much. later on? Oh, yes. It, it was a vast improvement. Um, right. But like I had like there were fan favorites like Miles O'Brien. So I'm like, oh, Miles is cool. Odo is awesome. Oh. Oh my gosh, Cord like the baddest man and and Garrick, oh man. Like there was people I cared about. Like I didn't like Bashir that much. I, I grew to love him, right? But mm-hmm. like there were characters that oh, they made be- they improved they, they improved him over time too. <laughs> the first couple of years of Bashir is uh, not the best. Um well, I think that's, yeah, uh, so you, you oh, were sorry. all in all the way to way. Sorry. Yeah, no. right in. Like and so to me it wasn't like I liked it more than next gen. It was like I got two great Star Trek shows to mm-hmm. watch. You know, right. Star Wars people are dumb. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, you know, I was a 10 year old guy, right? Like, you know, it always has to be a battle against the other. And Star Trek yeah. was the side that I chose. And, and Jeff had the benefit of being, you know, younger than us. And so he kind of, by the time he could kind of watch it, because uh, he, he you're, Jeff, you were roughly the same age when this came out as we were when Next Gen started. Yeah, so, I would say my show was was more Voyager. Voyager was the show that I was about the age you guys were when this show came out. I would say, uh, you know, so I was a little, like probably uh, what year? Did yeah, Voyager that's maybe start? right. Yeah, because yeah, it's about two years after this that Voyager hits. Yeah, so, so you know, Voyager. But I, I I went back and watched this show, and I think that what makes this show so great is that it's kind of it is episodic, but it's also very serialized because it's stationed in one place. It's a station, and we have a comment from Chris Stevens. Uh, he goes, "I think it has to do with the fact that it, it's on a station, so it's kind of like a, a sitcom almost. Like it, it has that um, feel that it's it, it, you know everything's coming to them. So like, I cheers, think, and, and I, I do think also." Quark that, that Quark. like Shaquille touched on this, but I think Star Trek does certain things that other shows did not do at the time, or maybe even since. Like we have a, a you know an African American uh, captain or commander at this point. We have uh, a female captain in the next show. It, when a next female gen, first officer in this one too. That was right. A female first officer when next gen starts. Jordy, a blind guy, is flying the ship. You know, like like <laughs> there, there are a bunch of things that Star Trek is doing that makes you think twice and go, wait, wait a second. The, you know, and but it, it 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 makes so much sense and it works and it's just they're not afraid. Star Trek's never afraid to go for it and and then also talk about topics that are highly political. Uh, and in this show, this episode especially, is very politically based, and, and we're dealing with different factions and we're dealing with um, morality uh, and. It really just a lot to sink our teeth into here, and it, it, we could talk about this episode for probably two or three hours, and 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 still find something else to kind of weave that that thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so like uh, let's go like get back to the episode quick. I mean we we kind of get this whole thing where, uh, like you said, uh, Kira goes above Cisco's head. Uh, uh, Cisco then I think he 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 talks to Odo and then Odo goes you know into spy mode and becomes a rat and then you know then we get the, our introduction to the Duras sisters right wait so, what did Odo do he he becomes like he goes in like spy mode right and then he becomes a rat right oh like not a rat he didn't rat somebody out he just turned it into a little rat yes. yeah he physically became a rat <laughs> right just just clarify <laughs> because he's a changeling which is also yeah. a very interesting part of his character. Yeah, I guess that uh, would have been the first time we would have seen. Like, we saw him kind of transform in the pilot, but not into an actual 
animals. So. Yeah, we in the pilot we just see him as a goo sometimes. He can like you know you can throw a thing through him. Yeah, the and, yeah and, and into the changeling goo or whatever you know it's called. But um, in this he actually transforms. He changes into a rat. And then so he, which he becomes a key part of finding out what's going on between the Duras sisters and Tana Los. Tana Los. But, but, right, but right before the, the Duras sisters showing up, we get this, this moment between Kira and Tana Los, right? Where they're, where they're talking about, mm -hmm. they're talking about his role and her role and the provisional government. And the fact that she's working with the provisional government to get him amnesty and anybody else from the Kanma who wish to leave behind and and sort of rejoin normal Bajoran society, right? And and she leaves the room and we get this really ham-fisted Scooby-Doo rut-row shaggy moment where like Tana Lowe's gives this sly grin right because you know you know right from the beginning he's not to be trusted right just the way he's playing him totally playing kira totally yeah. playing the the federation to get away from the Cardassian so that he yes. can continue doing conma things uh and stuff like that and, and then we get we get this amazing reveal of you know odo being called down to um to the promenade and we and we get to see the lovely, lovely uh, Duras sisters, uh, Lursa and Bator. I love the pause. Right. Like, just say, yeah, you're, Dave was right. Just the way he's, uh, Tana Los is being played, for the, he's pulling on Kira's heartstrings. Like, you're not Federation. You're Bajoran. Don't betray us. You know, he's kind of saying all these yeah. things where you know, like, just from the audience's perspective, you know, okay, this guy's up to something. Then the Duras sisters show up, which we know them from TNG. If Even if you don't know them from TNG, you're kind of going, okay, these are, you know, Klingons are always kind of been the bad guys, but these ones are, you know, right away, they're, they're, they're not good. Yeah, they got the, their, that like, uh, bus line, you're going to notice them. This is like their third, <laughs> their third appearance that we see them in Star Trek, right? So we, th I say third because the first appearance was in a double parter episode. Okay. Um, yeah. Like at least they had been in at least, yeah, probably two episodes in Next Gen. No, before there this. was a double, double episode where they were trying to interfere with the Klingon High Council. Mm -hmm. um, then they were accused of trying to assassinate Alexander and Worf uh, when they went to go visit, uh, I think it's the Klingon homeworld or some other place that they went to. Uh, this is their third, and this takes place about two years before Generations. Right, uh, they will. Before uh, they meet finally... Their, they'll meet their they, end. They meet their yeah. demise, right. As and well if, as the Enterprise D. So. If they had taken Alexander out, that would have spared us a few bad episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> Oh, poor Alexander. Alexander. Good thing Jody and Kevin aren't here. They would tell you that he's the worst episode of every Next Gen episode. There, yeah. wait, what's the worst episode? They're like every episode with Alexander. Any episode with Alexander. It doesn't even matter time, which one. The time travel episode with Alexander was probably the worst. When he reveals that he's really Alexander. I like that. Future. That's a Duras sister oh, episode, no. too. That, uh, boo, time travel. Yeah, I know. It's definitely one of the... It's, it's the... Um, it's the their second time that's in there that that assassination. That's their episode. second appearance, yeah. and then yeah, but and I thought it was smart to bring them back for the movie in Generations. Um, yeah, they're good in that. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. very good in Generations. And this is like they only did this like t maybe two or three times in all the Star Trek movies, where like Ratha Khan, you think they would have learned their lesson? Let's bring back a character from the TV and have them be like have a have, a, have another go at this crew. Uh, and then I guess they did it with the Duras sisters next, right? On Generations. Yep. And I, and you can argue that the Borg is kind of like a villain returning in First Contact. Yep. 
So yeah. and then um, they made a direction yeah. which with a completely new alien and it didn't work, you know. So right. <laughs> do they do you think they were just trying to make it as accessible as possible to people who had never seen the show before? By making a new villain instead yeah. of like uh I guess so, but but I think the evidence proves that you, that's not necessary i think like obviously ricardo montalban when people went to go see star trek 2 if they hadn't seen the original episode of space seed i think they were able to enjoy the movie um like that movie is a classic yeah really. producers don't understand that they're like you know i've never seen star trek this is a money maker people know the characters but we don't need to reference a specific episode let's just uh get this you know new alien bad guy with the with the thing and the thing and then loser the, the laser. Yeah, he's got some weird tube in his nose, and that's the guy they're fucking <laughs> about. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, I, I producers maybe they don't think right in that way. I don't think they know how to handle a franchise like Star Trek, where bringing in some new villain who's played by some Academy Award nominated actor isn't the formula you need. You need somebody that the audience is going to be able to sink their teeth into. I think that can be a new character, but I think it's easier when you already have that history established. For the fan base. I think it's also like one of the things that Star Trek do, does in terms of it, uh, episodic as a, and that differs from Deep Space Nine is that even though in, in Jet Next Generation we get a lot of recurring people coming back, Q, stuff like that, various Romulans, Klingons, House Moog, shenanigans, whatever it is, for the most part, really everything is episodic, right? It's meet new threat, deal with threat, move to next episode. Mm -hmm. Whereas I find with Deep Space Nine, it's um, because of the fact that it's just on this one space station, there's very, there, you know, in, much to what Jamil was saying in terms of the world building of, of DS9, right? It's, we're with these characters all the time. We're seeing a lot of the same people on a very regular basis. And it's, it's part of a much larger drawn out story, um, which is what I, I, I'm starting to really appreciate about Deep Space Nine compared to some of the other Star Treks. All right, yeah, just uh, building off that point, do you guys think that there's really any chemistry built here in this first episode between Kira and Odo? Like, there's a th this is a very important relationship that will be going forward, and this is kind of the pilot for Kira and, o and Odo in some ways. Do you think like they they that's built anywhere here in this episode? A hundred percent, because uh, as we get later into the episode, you know, there's there's this scene where she goes, Kira goes to talk to Odo. Right, and kind of lay the cards out on the table about how she's feeling about things. Yep. Um, and um, I don't know if we're quite there yet. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we can kind of back up a little bit. I mean, there is the, the uh, Dave, like, what just help us out a little bit? Like, what, where are we right now in the episode? So, uh, we've just had the introduction of the Duras sisters yes. at this yeah. point, right? They've yeah. gone to meet Garrick. Um, I believe, yeah, they go to see Garrick next. Yeah, and then we immediately get Garrick um, going to meet up uh, in Quarks on the promenade with Bashir again, right? For the shenanigans all over again, right? And the, the feeding of this information and being so not subtle about it, right? And like basically having to hit Bashir over the head with the like, come to the store at this time, you moron. And it's, yeah. it, it's just great. Yeah, Bashir is really funny in this episode. Which I, I find he's not this funny later on. Yeah, he, he's he, they really try to make him a comic relief character. Yeah. at least in these first couple episodes, he's very much in the pilot like this as well. And, and I wonder, like, why they kind of got off of that. 
you know like what wh why did they get off that Bashir comedic timing because I think it works um I think I don't know maybe maybe part of it was just again nervous energy from just kind of starting off and fleshing out the character a bit maybe it's you know I, I, I it's difficult to say like how deeply these 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 actors were, were thinking about these characters, right? But right. I, I would assume that after playing the character for a certain number of episodes and, and whatnot, you just become naturally more comfortable. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because you're, you know, he's brand new to the station. He's very excited about everything and whatnot. And then as he kind of gets into the groove of things, he becomes a lot more normal, if you will, right? Like, like yeah. just like everybody else on the he's station. He's, he's, it, this is his life. This is the day to day, and uh, maybe a lot of that excitement hasn't necessarily been like has kind of rubbed off now, and 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 yeah, that, at least that's the way I'd, I'd like to think that that's what's going on. Yeah, that that makes sense. That's a good analysis for sure. The writer has a better sense of the actor and their abilities, and you know the sensibilities of like, okay, the actor does a great job of handling this kind of humor. So let's progress instead of this, as you said, nervous energy that we kind of see in these first couple of episodes, where he seems bumbling sometimes as well, right? So uh, why not? Like we're eventually going to be progressing this show. Uh, let's we start off here. Let's move on. Let's move up. Let's level them up. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, that's a good way to put it. He be, he he becomes a little bit more serious, but he also has some fun episodes where he's like a James Bond type character. I mean, there's a lot for Bashir later on in this series for sure. Uh, so okay, so we're with the the Dura, the Dura sisters. They're talking to uh, Garrick. Uh, uh, exactly, what's the nature of their conversation? Uh, do you guys remember? He's, he's the go between between the. Bajoran terrorists and them, right? That's what his role is. He's kind of just a, yeah, a middleman yep. uh, in that deal. Again, it would have made more sense to give this role to Quark, but they didn't. Um, instead, we get Garrick, which is a good thing. I'm glad we got Garrick. But uh, well, it's not so much. A, it's not so much a middleman. It's the the Duras sisters want to betray Tunnelos, right? They want they they want to get everything, and it's basically what they're working with is they approach they approach uh, Garrick and basically say. You know, we know, we understand that you, you know, you still have inroads in with the Cardassians, and um, there's some money to be made here, and we'll do the deal, we'll set up the deal, and then the Cardassians can have Tonalos because we'll have our money, uh, and then the Cardassians can have them, and you guys do what you want with them after. Right. That, this is know? the so, part of their double cross. They're all yeah, going to get a double cross. That's um, right. Okay. Do you think that the reason why they did not use Quark was they wanted Quark to be like this thief and this um, this con man, but not necessarily involved in something so insidious? Probably. Yeah, that makes more sense now that you say like, once they kind of figured out what they wanted to do, maybe they realized they didn't want to give that to one of their full time cast members. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and they have and no problem giving Garrick insidious things for yeah. throughout the whole show. Yeah, you know, right. so. and Quark has a lot of shady dealings himself, but not maybe, yeah, violent in nature. At least Quark ends up doing a lot of middleman type stuff and the sort of transportation of like contraband and and things like that as as the seasons progress. Um, but I really like how they use Garrick uh, for these more insidious type and nefarious type plots. Yeah, and it works out absolutely well that oh, you yeah. have two characters that spring from this that they could have easily put into one and 
it would have been a detriment to the character. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point because we're better off to have both of them. And if it had been one character, we would have said, well, this guy's not believable because he just every every shady dealing he's involved in. So they split it up between these two. I get it. And the Odo-Quark relationship would be totally different if, you know, he was dealing with such insidious things. Like, Quark is a thief and a, a liar and a cheat, but, you know, he wouldn't automatically suspect that Odo's involved in that type of dealings like they've always had that type of relationship that Quirk, quirks typically non-violent crime yeah so. yeah he's more about greed uh money uh and then where... one time he tried to sell weapons we saw not everyone liked that too much so yeah i don't think quirks uh, even in this episode is he i, I don't think so uh, if he is he's briefly shown uh there is a part here where uh garrick is talking to Bashir about the the two uh, Bajoran terrorists and, and uh, uh, Bashir goes he's about to say I'm a doctor not and then Garrick cuts him off so so he he was gonna do the bones line and he cuts him off which I think that's a really fun moment uh, uh, yeah so like uh, where else are we gonna go from here I mean uh, we have uh, the there's also the Kira scene right before that where Kira comes in she's all happy she talks to Tana Lose about oh yeah I'm gonna give you amnesty Tana Lose says oh you'd make a good politician and yeah like Tana Lose is con- consistently accusing her of being like a sellout right like yeah. he's hardcore he's true he's the true patriot and she's just a uh a collaborator uh like an appeaser right and and he he's using that emotion from from kira because kira is a very emotional character and and he he's seeing that like oh she's happy because she got this for me well i'm gonna use that against her i'm gonna use that i'm gonna he always has like a jabbing line throughout this whole episode oh yeah for sure uh, and, and he's it, gaslighting her like crazy. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Like every and she's taking it too. She's like, oh, uh, me a politician? No, never. You know, like she's but she's kind of like maybe there's some truth to that. She's always questioning herself. I'm always a little bit confused about Kira's credentials uh, to even be the first officer of the station. Like, did she like as far as I understand, she's been in the resistance since she was 13 and has no formal education. So sometimes I wonder if she's, um, you know. She the formal like, education is the battlefield, Dave. Yeah, that's true. The battlefield. But I don't know if you, that teaches you how to deal with personnel reports and uh, administrative <laughs> duties and things like that. But but I think yeah. we also see that, right? That she's not super keen to be doing this either, right? Like mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's part of the provisional government and stuff like that. So, I mean, immediately after the scene in the, in the, in Garrick's clothing garment store, um, we get... Uh, we get Kira going back to meet with Tonalos to say, hey, I got you the amnesty, as well as the the two other people that you mentioned that would be willing to kind of join, right? And then and then we get the big reveal, right? Tonalos goes to Kira and says that he's he's still with the Kanma, yeah. still planning on doing all this other stuff and whatnot, um, and really kind of implants this seed of like, I'm really hoping that you will choose Bajoran interests right. over feder- the Federation's interests. And then Kira's like really lost. And then that's, you know, uh, she, she's just really lost and doesn't know what to do. No, she she has an impossible decision to make in her mind. Uh, but then I think like, what, she does she go to Cisco right after this? Or to, is it, you know, I'm very ex- exactly what occurs. Uh, do you get, what do you, do you have anything in your notes there, Dave? Uh, yeah. She does go to, you know, and all of a sudden they're on a runabout together. I'm trying to figure out. 
No, that's yeah. after. She does seem to go to Cisco, and I think I forget exactly what they talk about, but um, I do think it has to do with the fact that, like, yeah, Cisco knows because Odo was spying on uh, the Duras sisters, and uh, at a certain point, she kind of like defends Bajor at first, but then she kind of gives that up pretty quickly. From from what I recall, I don't exactly remember. Yeah, well, so what happens is that you know they're going to get in with the Kone Ma, and they're going to be able to help turn them around and repatriate them into the system. That this is what Tonalos has been feeding to Kira partly, uh, and that this is where he turns it on her in the runabout, right? So ultimately, you know. Um, well, he's ready to kill thousands of other Bajorans, right? Unless mm -hmm. she does what he says, which is take just the runabout back to D Space Nine. Man, we really need to do a better job with this rewatch. Yeah, sorry, I watched <laughs> it yesterday, and uh, I was a little busy after work, so I didn't. I was. What happened? Well, what well, did we well, immediately we after? Immediately after the the, the whole Berman thing and whatnot. So I, I actually messed up. So she Kira talks to Tanalos and gets the reveal before. Bashir gets to be in the garment store with the Dura sisters. And then immediately after that, we've got like, um, we've got uh, back in. So Odo gives his report and all this stuff. And um, back in Ops, Cisco meets with Kira and starts to probe her feelings about the Kanma and, and these right. people and stuff like that. Right. And then this is where she, this is strike two for me for Kira. So strike one was going above his head to the Admiral. And yes. Strike two is she she lies. You know, she knows that Tanalos is still with the Kanma. And and yet she she lies to Cisco, uh, basically saying that like, yes, they can be trusted. And then we get this 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 guilty moment where she goes and, and meets with Odo uh, very shortly after. Right. right. She, yes. And she and she the way she walks into the, the Odo's office is kind of like a little kid that's been caught. You know, she kind of walks in like, "Hey, Odo, how you doing?" You know, <laughs> and he's like, "What? What do you want?" <laughs> I think I might need to look for a new job. Uh, yeah, and, and and Odo says something really like important to her, and he says to her, "The only important thing is not to betray yourself." And this is where we get this really character-defining moment, uh, a real major character-defining moment, and we see this very shortly after in Kira in terms of her decision-making process. And does she believe in new Bajor versus old Bajor? And and where do her loyalties actually lie? Does she believe in Bajor potentially becoming part of the Federation? And the, all the words that she said to Tonalos during this whole thing about new Bajor and him dissing her about it. Like, no, like we don't, we shouldn't be ruled. Like Bajor needs to be free on its own without in outside interference. You know and I remember, I, mean? I remember she, she mentions like, Oh, but, but that do that. Like, I'm going to have to still betray someone that I knew somebody that's Bajoran, somebody that's my own blood. Like all these things are, it going through her mind and it's it's like a huge conflict of interest for her but she knows like odo's reminding her like you know that what the right decision to make is here and and it becomes very important later in the scene in ops uh where you know there's this whole scene where she goes to ops and she basically makes this decision to go on the runabout with tonalos because he has a whole plan to destroy the wormhole correct is that, is that you know that's that I know I'm kind of I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that, I think that's about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of his parts of his plan are revealed like right after the Odo scene, because that's when we get the um, sorry. It's it's after this scene that we get um, Garrick meeting again with the Dura sisters 
to, I guess, for the first part of payment. Uh, and then he, Garrick starts to probe the, um, oh no, that's what it is. Sorry, yeah, I have my notes, but I don't have timestamps. Um, Bashir goes to meet Garrick at the, at, the, at the garment store at this point, gets hidden in the back, which is just so silly to me. Like, stay in the back, shut up, don't say anything, close curtain, and then meets with the Dura sisters, right? And then Garrick starts to probe them a little bit, you know, in terms of like, what is this for, right? And they're like, why do you need to know? And he's like, well, depending on what we're dealing with here, I may need to make, you know, I may need to take extra precautions, right? And then this is where the Dura sisters reveal that they are giving him a, a cylinder of belitrium. Um, and um, afterwards, Bashir asks, like, what is this belitrium? And he, he basically goes on to say, uh, a rare crystalline material that combined with an antimatter converter could become a powerful energy source. It, it's fun to note that belitrium, this is the only episode in all of Star Trek <laughs> where belitrium is mentioned. So it's just it's, like it's in, it's in the deep spine deep space nine novels, which I haven't read, but perhaps Jimmy probably has. The here can confirm that. It was many years ago. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but this is the only time we hear about Belitrium. Um, but it is fairly important. I, I did some side research. Um, it's it's used to mine a lot um, uh, for sp special resources. Um, they have a, a mine um, that they use uh, after the, the attack on, on Wolf uh, 359 to rebuild a lot of the Federation fleet. So it seems like a really important material, but we never hear about it again after this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fun. know. Was, they invented trilitrium after this, and it was old news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's old news. It's, 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 they went from buy to try. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then and then we get Garrick revealing to Bashir that Tanalos actually already has an antimatter converter. So he's got he's got one piece of the puzzle. Now he's getting the Belitrium from the Dura sisters. He's got two pieces of the puzzle. And then right. and then we find out, you know, what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is destroy the wormhole. Because he wants Bajor to be free of the Federation or Cardassia fighting over Bajor. He basically wants Bajor to not be important. Yeah. And this is where we get the home run from Kira afterwards, right? So this is strike one, strike two, and then this is the big redemption moment, right? She, she, Kira goes to Cisco and says, "I need to be on that runabout. I need to be with him." That's right. So that he believes that I'm with him. If it, it has to be me, it can't be anybody else, and and I'll I'll stop. It's also a big moment for Cisco because Cisco yes. has already had two burns against him by Kira, and he has yeah. to trust this. This Bajoran woman who yep. used to be a basically a resistance fighter who's sympathetic toward this terrorist cause, and he has to trust putting this woman on this runabout that is set to destroy the wormhole. And, Just imagine and, if, like it's quite the leap of faith, that. really. <laughs> like going to his uh, like commanding officer and say, Hey, I told you to look after this Bajoran woman, and what did you do? You let her let her on this runabout, and you had questions about her, right? So he was in a tough spot. So yes, definitely, it did show the amount of trust he did believe in Kira. Right. Yeah, uh, Dave. Any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. Like uh, in retrospect, and from that point of view, it's a huge risk he takes here. Um, 
because what if the wormhole had been destroyed and what would that have history been like i guess there would have been no dominion war that would have been better probably uh, <laughs> but for some people um well he's also the prophet i mean the emissary this is we just dealt with this i mean he's supposed to be the guy that is supposed to be protecting the wormhole and and the prophets that are inside the wormhole and you know so this whole moment is very important i mean it could have went a it could have went really bad had kira said been convinced by tana los who's basically been whipping her the whole episode with gaslighting her the whole and it's been working the whole episode against kira and and uh, you know so for him to just all of a sudden believe in her it, it was a huge leap of faith like you guys said but it pays off and i think he you know if, if you imagine he hadn't done that and he hadn't have gained uh kira's trust and loyalty in, in the way that he did uh, their relationship would have been a lot different. Uh, you know, potentially a lot of other situations would have went differently. So this needed to happen. Uh, Kira's loyalties to Bajor versus the Federation will be tested many times after this, but um, particularly in these first two seasons. I have a, just a fun fact about uh, what we were talking about earlier with Bashir and Garrick. In the documentary, What We Left Behind, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but Andrew Robinson revealed that he had always felt that Garrick was gay. And that his initial interest in Dr. Bashir was motivated by sexual attraction. In the same documentary, showrunner uh, Ira Stephen Bear expressed regret that the show never openly addressed Garrick's sexuality. I mean, they kind of do. Much later on, because I actually just kind of watched an episode on it where he, he yeah. kind of develops an interest, right? With, with, I forget who it is. I think it's the guy who used to run the station who absolutely hates Garrick. And it's like his daughter. Goldicott. Oh, Ciel. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Is that Goldicott's daughter? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So they, they did they, have a romance. I, I always, I, my understanding of Garrick was that he was like omnisexual and sort of, um, you know, he, he was not too picky. Um, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, what's the, the, the Viper in Game of Thrones? You know, He's like, I enjoy this. Yeah. I enjoy that. This is what God yeah. gave me. I'm going to enjoy it all. Right. That's how yeah, yeah. I kind of agree. That's how I always thought Garrick was too. Yeah. Not purely gay or purely straight or any, either of those things. Um, bi. Yeah. Bi, I guess. Bi litrium. He's bi litrium. He's bi -litrium. <laughs> That's where the bi went. <laughs> uh okay uh anything else guys uh i mean this we kind of like we guess we're gonna cover the, well, the final we're, scene here we're, we're pretty much at the end right like i mean the, the trade-off happens he gets the bolitrium he, he he builds the device kira gets caught there's a scuffle uh they go through the wormhole <laughs> uh and then when they get to the other side they, you know, kira manages to eject the, the the this bomb that's been created detonate it and then tonalos is captured and then that's been that's basically basically it's oh but not before he calls her traitor right before they take him off yeah. in handcuffs Very that's true. the big that's yeah. the the knife in in yeah. kira's uh, front um right. that he leaves her with but he's like he's clearly not right like, yeah he's not know, a good call. Yeah. No, I mean he's he's an extremist, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that um, she is believes in the Bajoran new provisional government and she believes in having uh, Starfleet and now with the wormhole, um, Deep Space Nine becoming uh, and Bajor becoming really popular for explorers and, and stuff like that, and he's not into that, right? He he wants Bajor to be this insular culture, yes. stuck in its old ways, 
no outsiders whatsoever. Um, so yeah, so of course, of course, in his eyes, she's a thousand percent a traitor, right? Yeah, but but she's made her decision, and, and, and like think, you know, later on, we're I, I'm I'm very interested as as we continue through this rewatch, whether I'm I'm on this show again or not. I'm really interested to see how many more conflicts Kira potentially is going to go through. Jason, yeah. if, uh, if you want to be on it, you're you're on it, man. Uh, you too, Jamil. If you guys, if we if we we could just stay with this four, if we because this is a like I said, a three and a half year project. It's a project. You know, it's going to be hard wow. to ask anybody to say, "Hey, season two, episode five, throw it, pop it in." You know, I think I, I think you might have to you might have to beat them off a little bit because I think there's some other uh, live long and podcasters who are eager to come on as well. well not, you know, um, you know, schedules are tough though. You know, like not everybody can make every episode. No, nope. but but you know, if we're all in this together, I think um, you know, like that that will that will make us a community of a rewatch of this show because this show is that good. I mean, uh, every episode has something new to tell and uh, some great characters, and we can really. Uh, you know, talk at least an hour and a half uh, about each one. Uh, we should like create a sign up sheet, Jeff, and we should just say what episode do you definitely want to be a part of? Uh, well, I mean, who isn't going to want to be there for in the pale moonlight? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, we might we might have to go to a, a huge uh, thing for in the pale moonlight. No, I'm doing. Uh, I'd rather do Valiant. Oh, um, you'll be on. Oh, yeah, you will be on Valiant. Oh, oh, that yeah. is that oh, is good so too. Because <laughs> it's got that guy from Catwalk. <laughs> that guy from catwalk makes that episode every time i every time i see you smile i mean in this episode we do get a lot of <laughs> we do we i don't want to get copyright infringements from white tv in here but you know hey uh, <laughs> well we definitely get a lot of um akira beating people up that's for sure i mean and she does that a lot during the rest of the show i mean and it's good her her, her go-to move is her double yeah. fisted blah, she like yeah. hits people with that yeah <laughs> she like she'll grab your arm she'll bang your your arms down and then she'll use her double fist to hit you in the gut yeah could, you know They're i wouldn't mess with her she she she, she took my ass in a second yeah she's definitely formidable yeah. mm -hmm. that's some freedom fighter well okay well fighter. Yeah, she's definitely. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, so are we on final thoughts now for this yeah, episode? Yeah, final thoughts, Dave. Uh, you you started us off. We, we, you know, any anything else on this one? <laughs> yeah, like it's not the best episode of D Space Nine. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, sort of notable in the sense that it's the you know the first one after um, the pilot. Um, it's the first episode of Star Trek actually that didn't have uh, the Enterprise in it. Um, some version of the Enterprise, um, which I think, you know, maybe gets a little lost. So I think, you know, if anything, this is the first episode of Star Trek that never had an Enterprise. So, you know, uh, pick it on that. Past Prologue is an interesting title um, in that um, Jake Sisko will later write a novel. Do you guys remember this? Like it's an episode that comes later on where he's being like manipulated by like this dream alien queen woman. And, uh, and the book he writes in that is called uh, Past Prologue. Is that when he's like really ancient? Um, no, no, that's no, it's a different one. It's this, it's okay. more like he's being sort of like manipulated. Uh, it's, it's not a great episode. It's very forgettable. Um, but <laughs> um, okay. yeah, no Jake Sisko in this one either. So yeah, a whole bunch of characters missing, but I think it's a good Kira episode. I think it, it sets up a lot of things in motion with the Kira and Sisko relationship uh, and the Odo and Sisko, uh, sorry, Odo and Kira relationship. 
and the Garrick uh, and Bashir dynamic and you know the introduction of Bashir or of Garrick altogether. So I think those are all good things to uh, note about the episode while it's not necessarily the most entertaining to rewatch. Okay, uh, Jamil, final thoughts? Um, the episode is a lot more interesting looking back as someone who's watched the entire series as opposed to you know, the second episode in, um, you see the building blocks of those characters, just like how, what Dave was saying of Garrick and um, Bashir, uh, uh, Cisco and Kira, um, Odo and Cisco and Kira, that whole dynamic. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting look back. It's not really a good episode, not really a fan of it. Um, but it serves its purpose as introdu introducing these characters and um, at least getting you to um, into Kira's headspace, um, which I, I think is important. Let's let's take the time. We have the episodes. Let's look into these characters. Um, you know, let's not just make a, a situation of the week. Let's let's delve deep as much as we can. Um, so I appreciate the effort that they made in this uh, this episode more so than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jason, uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, so um, for a third episode of what's supposed to, uh, I guess, be this next flagship, you know, part of the Star Trek franchise, um, this episode actually checks a lot of boxes for me, right? We, we get introduction of new characters that are really complex and interesting. Uh, we've got an overall plot that's like, is, is fairly well the implementation of it left a little bit to be to be desired um, um we get some really impressive character development from kira we get to learn a lot about her in terms of her motivations who she is what she represents um and it, it makes it really exciting to see how that's all going to play out um because like we talked about earlier this isn't really so much a show about the federation right it's about this particular area of the alpha quadrant and all that's involved in that <clears throat> um we get to see Cisco flex more of his commander muscles, and we get to learn a little bit more about how he is as a leader, uh, how he um, views people, and lets things kind of takes a try and see approach and, and lets things kind of play out. But at the same time, is is ready to lay things down when the time when the time comes. A um, couple of dis disappointing things for me in this episode uh, was the fact that. Um, you know, the, the fact that we hear about this terrorist cell called the Kanma is really interesting, right? Yeah. And especially with everything that's happened, you know, 60 years of oppression by the Cardassians and stuff like that. Watching this episode, I was very intrigued by the concept of the Kanma, who they are, why they're doing what they're doing, which, and we, we get all of that from Tanalos. Um, and after this episode, we never hear about the Tanalos ever again. And that really disappointed me. Uh, I would have yeah. loved to have seen a couple more episodes of fleshing out who these guys are. I don't know if that's because they already had the Maquis in their head for later on down the road or, 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 what, or whatever it is. But I think it would have made a lot of sense to have a couple of more episodes of the Kanma doing Kanma things. Yeah. A little bit of sabotage here, blowing some stuff up here, maybe even like, not necessarily doing attacks on on the Cardassians, but straight on attacks on on the Bajorans because they don't believe in this government and what they represent and, and stuff like that. So that was really disappointing to me that we uh, I wasn't so much disappointed that we didn't see Tana Los anymore, although it would have been 
I think it would have been interesting if we had an episode that he had escaped the Bajoran prisons and and you know rejoined up with his tunnel his his uh, his Kanma brethren and and done some stuff, but we yeah. never hear or see from them again. Um, and that that's really disappointing. Yeah, I, I think we will get a couple references down the road, but yeah, we don't see. No, the Tonalos is only in the books again afterwards. I, I went and checked. I did some research on them, and from what I saw, they were they were only mentioned in the books after. Yeah. I think that's right. Well, we're gonna I'm watch this whole first season. Uh, if he's yeah. gonna come up again, it will probably be this season. So yeah, yeah, it would have been cool to see like the 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 Con Ma have like a real bite. Like if they blown up something or just something real like terrorist like. Would have been cool in a later season. I wish they had uh, had used guys. That. Guys, don't worry, it's coming. Season two. It's just got a different name. Uh, it's so it's they rebranded. Yeah, they rebrand. They rebrand the Konma to the Circle, and it's very much the same thing. Oh, really? Is that all it is? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Um, and they bring in that guy. That oh, man, who is he? He's an actor who's been a villain in a ton of stuff. He was like, remember the Independence Day, the, the movie Independence Day. Yeah. Um, uh, he's from that like the villain guy like the weeb dude uh anyway we'll get to it don't worry maybe, it's maybe coming con ma sounds like con men i don't know maybe, maybe i just don't think nobody anybody could remember it <laughs> nobody remembers the con i didn't remember the con ma before yeah. this so i had to write um, it down because I, no way i was going to remember it yeah okay well i uh, that'll do it for uh this episode of deep space nine past yeah, what uh, thanks for joining us, Jason and Jamil. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, getting your thoughts on this episode. Uh, and just remember, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Live long and podcast. <laughs> Live long and podcast, Thank everybody. Thanks, so thanks and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care and good night.